0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello Ivy Church. Hello Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Gamma jamma. Karabonika nisani Ivy Church. Good to see you. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. If you've got a Bible, start trying to find uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because we'll be going there in a few moments. Before we do that, I just want to mention our first fruits offering, which we will be collecting in next week. There are envelopes around the place. These aren't the fancy ones that are just first fruits. They've got a sticker on them, though, to make it say first fruits. And this is something we do every year at Ivy. We encourage people to rein it in at Christmas, because we know what Christmas is all about, and then to come and give something... To the Lord, again, it's a, it's a free will offering. There's no compulsion. If we made you do it, it wouldn't be worth anything anyway. Um, but it's something that just because we're grateful, we want to say to the Lord, you've done so much for me, what can I do? And, uh, and, and so over and above anything else we might normally give... Um, We give this and it it does enable us to do some amazing things we would never be able to do as a church because as you'll know throughout the year opportunities and needs come up that might be in the church or might be outside of us and having a First Fruits thing over the last 10 or so years has meant we've been able to start things we could never have started and help in ways that we could never have helped without doing that. So that's the purpose of it but really the purpose is just saying Lord I love you and uh, I love you in an over the top way like you've loved me in an over and above kind of way. So um, if you could take that with you tonight and pray through the week and say, Lord, is there something that you'd want me to give and what would it look like for me to do that? And then do bring it in rather than, you can do it online if you want to, but I think there's something about coming and kind of putting that in and saying, Lord, I'm just trusting you for this year that you're going to, you're going to provide, that I can believe you. And very often that faith, is something that I really think the Lord sees. And, he, you know, he loves us and he provides anyway. We're not twisting his arm, but I think there's, a, there's just something that he loves about that kind of faith response. So, uh, who's... right? you don't have to tell me the details. Hands up if you've done some kind of fasting this week, let's just be honest. Quiet, look at those hands around the room. Some kind of fasting, great. Right? All right, hands up if you prefer feasting to Fasting. Okay, there's quite a few people there. The good news is they're both in the Bible. Yay, Yay. we can fast and we can feast. And uh, Jesus did both of them. He got in trouble for feasting. Um, They said that he was a a wine bibber. (laughs) He enjoyed it too much. And, uh, you know, he he liked to potty. And people were, like, affronted by that. Um, and slandered him for that. And then this meal and the the things that Jesus did were then taken and became very much part of what the church did, the early church practice. That's recorded in the the histories of the early church, but it's also in scripture. And we see that as the church started to go out from the the centre there in Jerusalem and spread out to Judea and and, and into all these other places that Jesus said they were to go and make disciples, they'd go to the Gentiles and they'd go into these places, which were used to, Things like uh, feasting already. They knew about feasting. They knew how to have parties. They knew that you would um, you know, eat a lot of food, drink a lot of wine, and have a party. And then these people come in start talking about Jesus. They say, yeah, we like the sound of that. They become Christians. And then it says, well, you know, he, he commanded that we, we would eat and drink together. And they were like, brilliant, finally something I can do. As a Christian, this is awesome, and so they have these parties. But then in First Corinthians, Paul's addressing. I haven't got time to do a full study on this, but he's addressing what's become wrong with it. It's like this excess thing that's happening in the church, whereby people have forgotten this the holiness that there is about the, this this Last Supper remembrance of what it is that Jesus was doing, and and they're just treating it in some ways like it's. Another meal, or even worse, it's like one of those, like the old style party that they used to, to go to. And uh, he says, you know, people were, were gorging themselves and eating loads while other people didn't have anything left over. Like they say, you know, please come and get the communion. And people are all stampede for it and, you know, get all the best bits for themselves and all this kind of thing. And, and he said, that's not the way it should be. And so, again, in First Corinthians chapter 11, um, I haven't got loads of time to be able to read through all of that, but I'll just pick out a few things. He's talking about the Lord's Supper in, in this passage. I've got this. Um, I think it's the New King James abuses at the Lord's Supper, and he says, you know, I, I'm hearing that there's, there's, the time comes when when it comes to the time to eat at the Lord's Supper, each of you goes ahead with your own supper. One goes hungry, another becomes drunk. What? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? No, I do not commend you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you. And as I'm doing this, I'm going to be effectively consecrating this for us and praying over it. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. It just says took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Also, and after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and This cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, what does that mean? Will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. For examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Do we do that? I remember, to be honest with you, the first time I started to come to Ivy, early on, and, and, and I came into a service, and you know, this isn't it's just the way it was, but they said we had some worship, and we sang some stuff, and somebody gave some notices, and then uh, they said, oh, now we're going to have communion. Just go and get yourself some communion, and people went and got some. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, this isn't communion. That's just, it's just some bread and something to drink. People will be chit-chatting and going and getting it. And I was like, I was thinking... I don't, I'm not sure that's communion. Really? For all who eat and drink without discerning the body. What does that mean? Eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Sounds like serious stuff to me. Does it to you? But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. So it's saying there's something here. And even something to do with discerning the body, and something to do with that having something to do maybe with healing, or not being healed. Perhaps there's something going on here that's a bit deeper than we've thought of it. When we've, you know, maybe because people like myself at the front haven't kind of given it the gravitas, the, the weight of what this this really is. And what's the difference between this and just any other meal? Is there any difference? I mean, we've got to cross some barriers in order to be able to get this, some some different boundaries. Some of you know I've I've recently had opportunities to go out to the Middle East with an amazing people called Living on the Edge. and going out again to Dubai quite soon. Um, But I recently went to Jordan. And when I was there, we'd been out and we'd, we'd just been to the River Jordan and it was amazing and then we went down across and stood at the top of Mount Nebo where Mount Moses looked out across all the wilderness and you could see the whole of the promised land all set out before him that he never got to enter into. And then the pastor, one of the pastors said, oh, one of the pastors who heard us speak yesterday just wants to bless us and he said he wants to give us a meal before we get on the plane. And when we got there, and this is a poor guy, but the hospitality is such that you get there and we've got, I think we've got a photograph of what that looked like. Um, you know, it just, it's a whole bunch of us. And this guy just went to town and everybody got a piece of bread like that. That was like my piece of bread, one piece of, I mean, I had more than that. Everybody got, when we're talking bread, we're talking a lot of bread and we've got all this food and it's all there that this guy is doing it. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what's going on there. And, and, and so there's something about bread as being part of the meal. You can see all of that good stuff, all the hummus, different kinds, dipping into it. So it's a feast in some ways. And the bread, when we think of bread, we think of, uh, you know, maybe we just had it there and you know, a bit of bread and you put something on, you put a bit of cheese on it or something like that. But the bread is central to it. There's a guy called Kenneth Bailey who's written some incredible books. He lived out with uh, these kind of people for many years and brings tremendous insight to help us to understand Life in these places, even now 2,000 years on, but 2,000 years ago, how, how different it was. So he even talks about bread and he says, bread in these cultures is not the meal. Bread is the knife, the fork and the spoon with which the meal is eaten. The common dish is never defiled from the eater's mouth because he begins each bite with a fresh Piece of bread. And of course, bread appears a lot, doesn't it, in the Bible and in the New Testament? I haven't got time to talk about all the references to bread, but you could do a long old study on that. And when one of the things that interests me is, is that there's this Jesus talks about bread in relationship we, to prayer and, how our, and to help us to understand what our Heavenly Father's like and what He's not like. And he tells a story once to these people who would understand what he was talking about and maybe we don't and maybe we haven't and maybe that's why we've got some of this wrong and that can affect your view of God because we think we know what he's talking about when he's not in a really famous parable called The Friend at Midnight from Luke chapter 11. You know this passage if you can put it up there. He said to them, which of you? Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his many translations are going to use that word persistence. That's the word it will say. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. We think we know what it means. And we don't know what it means. Because I've got to be honest now. If you needed bread and you didn't have any bread. And you had somebody come around tonight, late on, midnight. How many of you would go and knock on a neighbor's door and say... Hey, wake up! I need some bread. Can I show, see a show of hands over that? How many of us would do that? We wouldn't do it, would we? I mean, not just because we're English. It's just like most of like It's like I wouldn't. I'm speaking as an English person. I would not dream of doing that and going knocking somebody up at night, saying, "I need three loaves of bread, please." You know, we wouldn't do that. But he's asking a question. And you know what the people there would be? They'd be like, the idea that somebody would come to my door, knock on my door with a need for bread, and that I would turn him away. That is absolutely shocking. Nobody in our village would do that. Nobody would be so rude. Nobody would be so inhospitable. It would be shameful for us to do that, for us to turn somebody away, anybody away, And he's saying, not just because they're your friend, this is somebody who's not really your friend. The culture's so different, and there's a few people whose heads are nodding in this room, and do you know why? Because that's the culture that they came from. Those kind of cultures, Eastern cultures, not Western cultures, have this huge thing about hospitality. And we have an Englishman's home, is his castle, and don't bother me, I'm in bed with my kids or whatever, We don't we have to get into these things in order to be able to get out of them, what the Bible wants us to get out of them. You see, he actually saying, which of you? And and nobody would there would say, Oh well, I'd do that. I'd say, I'm going to ring the police, leave me alone. (laughs) It would be shameful. Because and actually the Greek word there is this one, anadia. And the word is more accurately translated according to people like Kenneth Bailey as. As shamelessness, and it's not because the person who's knocking is shameless, but because it would be shameful for the householder not to give what was asked. Do you understand? Yeah. It's a big difference, isn't it? And does that then change how you view God? Because here's what I sometimes get when I, I hear people praying and even trying to instruct us on intercession. They have this picture like of God's the sleepy guy in bed. And we've got to shout and we've got to, come on, wake up God, come and do something about this. Don't you get it? I'm going to ask and I'm going to knock and I'm going I'm to kick the door in and you better give me something. And that's totally opposite to what this parable is teaching. Because he's not that kind of a God. He's willing. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He loves it when we ask. He wants us to seek he probably only might have to knock once or twice. The door's going to be open, but you can ask and knock and seek. And he's like, he's trying to get us to get a different view of God. And we don't get that until we cross, not just the, the distance barrier, not just the, The language barrier and the culture barrier. It is not just the time barrier, it really is the culture barrier that very often we don't get. There's this cultural distance that's between us. And I find it when I go, again, I go over to different nations like that. You've got to travel across time, you've got to travel across culture. But the Bible is an Eastern book. And we, most of us here, read it through the coloured lenses of our Western culture, which is weird. And it's weird to many parts of the world. And when I say weird, it's been translated, W-E-I-R-D, in these different ways. Of course, we don't even see these spectacles that we put on, but we have Western goggles on. We see it like we think we know it. Educated, not that they're not educated, but educated in a Greek mindset. Scholastic Logic and science, we think, as opposed to all that superstitious spiritual stuff, perhaps industrialized, so we don't understand it when he starts talking about parables of sowers and seed and farms and all of that. Rich is our viewpoint. I remember reading about the parable of the um prodigal son, and and, and in many in, in western nations, in nations like ours. When he tells the story, the parable, people were asked, what do you remember of it? And they would be able to recite most of the story. But they never recited that there was a great famine in the land. They missed that. Why? Because we've never lived in a famine. But in the nations in these other places, they remember the famine. Because it's a reality for them. So again, we have these blinkers, we have these goggles, we don't even see it. And and we have a, uh, you know, to a greater, lesser extent, we have a, a democratic version. We don't think about kings so much. We might have a, a king who's sort of head of the state, but really we demand a democratic process. So when you're talking about kingdoms and how that works, again, we don't necessarily get the, the reality of what all those things are. And I'm not saying these are right or wrong. I'm just saying we've got to recognise them because we miss the meanings. We miss, we miss the humour sometimes because we're not reading between the lines on the stories. And again, when I went to Living on the Edge, we've got to recognise it. We've got across the cultures. You know, I've got to realise there isn't just one culture but I've got to cross the culture some people are here you're having to cross the culture to listen to me thank you for doing so and bearing with me but um you know, when I got to the Middle East, I went there and uh, the cultural differences are great and we don't realise them. I tried to learn a bit of Arabic before I went out there and I was kind of doing so and I thought I, was, I had a few greetings. I was just about to get up and speak at this big meal for all these people in Lebanon. And I turned to the lady next to me and I said something, a little phrase that I thought was good. And, uh, and then she went, like that. And I was like, no, that didn't land. And, uh, and I said, are you, is that all right? And she went, are you a Muslim? And I said, no, I'm not a Muslim. And then she laughed and she said, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to start my talk with that. So it's like, thank you, Jesus, for sitting me next to her. <laughs> See, in, what I want to say is, in Eastern cultures, in, in like Jesus lived in, it was different. Very different. And again, cultures are different like this even now. You know, we live in places where the young is best to be young. Let's have a look at some of those other differences that so we've got up here. Young is best in the West. It's what's celebrated. In these cultures, old is respected. Wisdom is better. Thin in the West very often is what's beautiful. Whereas, I, I use the word fat there. You know? Fat in the Old Testament, in the Bible, is a blessing. It's a blessing. I remember um, some friends of ours in a, in a previous church, and uh, he was marrying a lady. I won't say which nation he was from, but, but no, sorry, he was from a different nation. He was going to get married. And she, she told us after a bit, he's fattening me up to go and meet the family back home. Yeah. Didn't she? And, uh, and it was like, because over there, it's like, you know, you've got to have a bit of weight on you to be impressive, And it was like, that was a very good thing. And you might think, oh, I'm not sure about that. But you look in Daniel. I haven't got time to look at it. Look in Daniel chapter one. And you know that bit when it says about uh, how how Daniel and his friends said, we're not going to eat the king's rich food, but we want to eat just fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And then in Daniel chapter one, when it says that, it says that at the end of that period, when they looked at them, in fact, I think it is the case. I think I've got it in this this, uh, passage. I don't know if I can find Daniel in my Bible. Yeah, there it is. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who'd been eating the royal rations. They were like, you're looking good. You know? What about Song of Solomon, chapter 7? How graceful are your feet in sandals, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. Jewels. The work of a master hand. I'm going to try this on Zoe later on. <laughs> your navel. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks and lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. <laughs> I think I'll stop there. <laughs> What's the, but the picture there is so different because we're crossing... Crossing cultures to be able to see it in these different ways. And, uh, and again, we have these particular viewpoints. But, you know, so again, and we, we've got to cross these boundaries to understand the Bible, but also so that we can understand, it, you know, how we connect with people from all other nations. Because, you know, right here in the city, we've got so many nations and people that are coming in, and there's wonderful, beautiful people are coming into Ivy all the time. And we shouldn't expect them to be the missionaries and do all the work. We should be crossing over to them. so a a quick story I was leaving Lebanon and I got on the plane to go to Dubai and as I sat down to go on the plane there were two ladies who both had the full hijab things on burqa you know and they were both sitting there and one of them was sitting in my seat and then there was a gap and then there was a middle seat so I went up to them to sit and I thought oh man this is a bit embarrassing because she's in my seat and I'm not should I kind of talk to her I don't know And, and I was like maybe I'll look for another one, I said, oh, I'm really sorry, that's my seat, but I'll look if there's another one, and she said, oh no, it's fine, it's fine, she moved over into the middle one, so then the two of them were there, then I sat down, we got sitting down next to them, and I'm like a bit, I don't know what to say, can I say anything, should you say something, I don't really know, you know, some, some of you know a lot more about this than I do, but I'm like, oh, help me Jesus, and after a bit, uh, I just started reading my book, we set off, I'm reading a book, a novel, um, some spy thing, and this girl sitting next to me, um, she, you know, I could just see through the kind of letterbox. Um, she's like, "What are you, what are you, what are you reading?" I thought it's a spy, spy novel. Oh, is it good? Yeah, it's about a woman who's a spy, and actually, it was written by a woman who really was a spy, so it's quite good. Oh, okay. You, you like reading? Yeah, I like reading. Oh, I don't really read much. I said, "Oh, well, I, I read." And I write, oh, you write, you write books. <coughs> Nudges the friend next to him, he writes books. He writes books. Oh, he writes books. <laughs> what, what kind of books? What kind of books? Oh, I've written a few books. Uh, I wrote one on marriage. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a book about marriage. <gasps> and he said, oh, okay. You wrote a book about marriage, yeah. I said, yeah, I've been married 36 years to the same, same woman. Oh, <gasps> I respect you. I respect you. I said, oh, really? I said, well, what, what's it like where you are? She said, oh, where I come from, most of the men can have seven wives. I said, oh, one's enough for me. <laughs> 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 and if you met it, no. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and uh, and, then we, so we're, we, and I'm chatting to them. And then the next thing is, because of this, they take the veils off. Oh, wow. So I'm just talking to the two of them. And they are these beautiful girls in their early 20s. And they start talking to me. Guess where they're from? They're from a place called Yemen. Have we heard about Yemen recently? Yeah? yeah? We're throwing bombs at Yemen at the moment. We think that's going to help. Well, What's it like in Yemen? They said to me, have you heard about Yemen? Do you know about Yemen? I said, I don't know anything at all. They told me a little about Yemen. I said, well, you're from Yemen. Yeah, we've, we've just come from Yemen. And it becomes obvious. A guy comes over at one point point, walks down and like, talks to the two of them. And he's like their chaperone. And you can see actually from the clothes that they're wearing, they're wearing really expensive stuff. You know, and this woman says, my, the young one sitting next to me, they gave me their sort of Western names and, and they said, um, they you know, introduced themselves and they said, oh, my father is a very powerful man in, in our nation. Uh, and he's told me I can go for, we can go for one year to Dubai to find out about the world and what's going on in the world. And um, so that's why we're going. I said, oh, okay. Anyway, before long, I ended up talking to them, shared my testimony. Went and got one of the books. It wasn't really suitable though. The book that I had wasn't a good one for them. And I was praying and I said, you know what, I've written this little book called Knowing, Growing, Going. And it's really helped you, I think, to understand more about what I believe about, about Jesus. And so I'm chatting to them about this and they're both going, oh, right. it's really interesting. But the book that I'd got, even though it wasn't very good, I'd written in the front of it and I wrote in it, their names too, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, God loves you and then signed it. Gave it to him, and um, the girl next to me. She read it and she went, "I like this." So I said, "What do you like?" And she said, "This. I like this. God loves you." So I thought, "Okay, I'm praying." I'm like, I said, "Look, when we get off the plane." If I can find you and you can find me, I've got these little booklets. I'd love to just give you some that explain what it is that we, I believe, and then you can look into it. They've got my details, said they were going to go on Amazon and get books and stuff like this. Both going to do that. So I get off the plane and I'm looking, I go to Dubai airport, and I've never, well, I've been there once, but literally 90% of people are dressed like this, can I say? Everywhere you go, there's a lot, and I'm like, they're gone. And amid this massive crowd, and I'm like, oh, oh, Lord. And I I get to my suitcase and I'm looking for where the cases are coming off. I'm looking around for them, can't see them. So I end up opening my case when it comes off and I'm scrambling through. I'm thinking, I know I've got a couple of these knowing growing goings in here somewhere. And so I'm on my knees and I'm going through and I'm looking through. And I'm saying, oh Lord, are they here? Are they here? And I thought, well, hang on, Lord, I'm on my knees good place Lord please if you can can you can you enable it so I could meet them and see them and help them and show them something like this it'd be I know it like there's so many people here and and we've just gone through the customs and they went through a different part than me I've no idea where they are however many thousands of people who are in this airport I'm on my knees praying I get up and I've got the booklets and I go through and the people from the team are there to meet us and they're all chatting and then one of them says are you okay and I said oh no not really I said because there's this girl you see and these two girls, and I, and, I, and I was telling them about the Lord on, on the plane, and it was going really well and they're really open. And this guy said, is what he said. He said, you know you could go to jail for that. And you know what I said? That would be worth it. I just, it just came out of me. I'm not saying anything heroic there. There was just this thing inside of me that was like, I'd go to jail for that. Because I've got girls that are about their age... And I can't imagine them never having the opportunity that anybody would tell them about Jesus. It's just, I was like, I would, I'd go to jail for that. And I got a little inkling of what it is for our brothers and sisters in persecuted, suffering places to suffer the gospel. Just for a moment, I'd be willing to do that. Anyway, we walk through and uh, I'm looking around and I'm still fed up. And then suddenly as we're walking across this crossing to go to our minibus in the the, uh, airport, I'm sort of there, and there's a girl walking next to me, and there's another girl walking next to her. And I looked, and I thought, and I said a name. And she went, huh? and looked round. And, and there was somebody walking towards her. So I, I said, I've got that book. And she went, and pulled it, in, <laughs> pulled it inside. Pulled it inside, I went, okay. And this guy came over and took me away. So, so, you know, I just kind of figure, they've got a year to find out about the world. First person she meets, leaving her nation, who sits on the chair next to her, is somebody who wants to talk to her about this person, Jesus. And then she gets booklets and things to be able to find out about that. And so, you know, let's be praying. I don't know what could happen there. But I had to cross the culture barrier. Sorry, I've gone on about that a long time. But, but I think we just wanted to look about this. Because really we're going to go into a time of communion in a moment. After the fasting... We're going to take this and, and we have different views, different people about what communion is and, and uh, you know, there's all kinds of different views. I wonder what you think happens when we're having communion. He's you know, talking about discerning that and recognising that. What, what was it really going on? Because there's different viewpoints, just run through them really briefly. Um, different people have different viewpoints of what communion is. Some say you don't really need to do communion, right, the Quakers say that, the Salvation Army started out saying they didn't have to do it because they weren't really going to be a church, but then in the end they just don't do it. Um, there's a, and that's a very low view, symbolic, it's just a symbol, Baptists would just say it's just a symbolic thing to do. Other people would say perhaps so we just do it because Jesus said to do it, so we do it because Jesus said to do it. Don't really know why we do it, Jesus said do it, we obey Jesus. The Anglican view would be this thing called the real presence, that in some way, when we take this bread and this cup, in some way, we can't explain fully, Jesus is there, he's really kind of here with us, and he, he's, there's like a sense of his being, being present in that, and then you can go so far without into the Roman Catholic, that they basically talk about transubstantiation and the idea that the actual body, it's the actual body and the actual blood. So that's like across various Christian Viewpoints people have different views of what is happening when you come and take communion. I wonder what you think is happening when this happens. But when Jesus said, This is my body, what was he really talking about? What does it mean to you for him to take that? And, And was he and actually it's interesting because when what was he talking about when he said, This is my body? What was he actually literally talking about? Bread. He kind of, yeah, he was. But actually, even more than that, to get into what was being said and done at the time, what kind of bread was it? Unleavened bread. Because it was a Passover meal. It wasn't just any meal. It was a specific meal. He said to, he said to somebody, some of his guys, go to this upper room. It'll all be prepared. Tell the man there, the, the rabbi wants to take over his, his house And we kind of think that's an imposition, but for the guy who owns the house, that would be like, yes, amazing, Jesus is coming. It wouldn't be like, oh, they'd be like, that's amazing. And then he would lay everything out for them, and then they would come, and, and and it's during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days. The culmination of that would be the Passover meal, and they would have this unleavened bread to celebrate what? The freedom from slavery in Egypt. In Exodus, it's all celebrated. Exodus chapter 12, what would you do? You would get some real blood from a lamb. You bring a lamb into your house. Oh, nice little lamb, nice little lamb. Come in the house, come in the house. Kill the lamb. I know. Get its blood. Put it around the doorposts of your house because the angel of death is coming. And you have to personally apply the blood so the angel of death doesn't come to your house in Goshen like it's going to come all over Egypt. And so you've got that. And then he says, and eat the bread, but eat unleavened bread because you're going to have to rush out of there when all this is done you haven't got time to bake. Stuff that's going to take time for it to to grow. So you bake bread without yeast. And in various places, again, we miss the cultural significance of the barriers about about what's going on with yeast. Does yeast generally get a good press in the Bible? Anybody know? Absolutely not. Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is hypocrisy. There's something about... yeast and it being like sin and something that puffs you up, something that makes you proud, especially religious pride. So when he lifts up, when he passes around the bread at the Last Supper, he says, this is my body. It's unleavened. In other words, there's no sin in me. Yeah, There's no leaven at work in me. This is my body. It isn't just ordinary bread. This is my body. I'm without sin. There's no corruption going on inside of me. As there is in every other man. Because I'm the son of God. And so when we take this tonight, I I made sure for this part we've got unleavened bread that's going to be taken there. So think about that when we come to it in a moment. And remember that. And then before we take this ourselves what 's the what 's the cup for what 's the cup for the blood what 's it shed for Our sins, our sins for, for our sins to be forgiven yeah Jesus shed his blood on the cross for our sins we know that don 't we yeah we 're reminded of that every time we have communion. I think most of us yeah you kind of get that. Well, that 's what 's going on we have faith in his shed blood and that means that our sins are forgiven so if that 's the case then what's His body for? Because you've got the blood that washes your sin. What's the body for? Well, in Isaiah chapter 54, what would happen at the cross was prophesied. In the Hebrew, the word here that sometimes... Sorry, if we put this up there. Surely he took on our infirmities and carried our... Most translations are going to say sorrows. But actually... The word is, 99% of the time, it's translated as sicknesses. Yet we considered him stricken by God, struck down and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes, we are what? Could it be there's something about healing in this? And Have we missed that? Because again, in Matthew's Gospel, that passage is quoted. Specifically, just after Jesus has done all kinds of miracles, just after Jesus has driven out all kinds of demons, it says this. I think we've got another passage, please. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and bore our diseases. I've, I wonder if I've missed that a bit. That his blood was shed for my forgiveness. But his body was given and broken for our healing. And in the same way as we apply by faith that when I receive this, he's going to forgive my sins. What if when we come for communion... What if the reason some of us are sick and some have died is because we've not discerned the body? We've not recognized the healing power that there is in this? What if? I don't know. What if when I come and I take this and I say, This is your body which is broken for me, there's something so tangible about this, something that's edible about it, that in some way the healing power of Jesus will come into my physical body and, and that I can ask him for healing? i expect expecting a miracle. I don't know, but from now on, I really want to make that, add in an extra layer to this and to receive grace for healing as we had faith tonight, that he died and rose again so that our sins could be forgiven and our infirmities can be healed. Just take a moment and uh, think about that for yourself. I invite the band to come up. And we're going to do this really quite worshipfully and slowly and taking our time. You go when you're ready and when you feel it's right. And we've got, we're have got we going to do distribution from here and from there and at the back. And some people can help with that. But again, before you come, maybe there is sin that needs to be forgiven. Maybe it's the leaven in me and the, the sinfulness that I need to come to the Lord and, and ask him. I don't want to be puffed up like that. I don't want to be proud. I humble myself before you. So I'm going to ask for forgiveness and believe that, the, that as I take that, that drink, it's like, Lord, thank you that, the, that you're, you're washing me clean, that you are, your, your blood that was shed for me on the cross does its work, and I am clean because of your forgiveness that you've offered freely for me. And then again, when you come for this, could it be that you come and rather, you don't have to go on and on about the sickness or the the need, but you just bring it to him. Anything that's not whole, anything that's not right. And you say to him, Lord, this is your body. And I want to receive it by faith tonight. And I'm asking you for for healing. I'm asking you for a, a miracle. This could be, in a sense, like a miracle meal for a supernatural community. It's all about you, Lord. Not just a natural meal, not just an ordinary thing, but a supernatural meal in remembrance of you. That's what you said. Do this in remembrance of me. And we want to come. And again, before you come, maybe you might want to kneel. Do business with the Lord. Perhaps there's somebody you need to forgive. Jesus said if you're going to come to me in in a way like this and you hold something against somebody. In fact, no, he didn't say that. He said if somebody holds something against you. Go and do business about that. Bring the forgiveness that's needed. Then you can receive the forgiveness that you don't deserve either. All kinds of things can happen in these moments and Lord we just ask by the power of your Holy Spirit now that as you promise to be with us in a special way I believe when we gather like this we offer ourselves back to you and we want to take and receive these holy mysteries I personally believe that there is a real sense in which you are present in these things and I don't want to miss that and I'm sorry for the times I have just treated it as an ordinary thing when it's a holy moment thank you Jesus and we ask that as we put our hope and trust in you in the same way as we do so for the forgiveness of our sins that you Lord bless the Lord oh my soul forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Thank you, Jesus. So as and when you feel prompted, please come and take it, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ.